grief can be lonely and isolating, especially for those experiencing pregnancy and infant loss. At times, it may even feel as if the sorrow might consume you. Welcome to the Birthies Loss Support Podcast. Join me, your host, Michelle Smith, as I hold a much-needed space for grief, remembrance, and the journey of healing through conversations with grief and trauma experts, the sharing of stories of loss and love, as well as guided meditations. Hello and welcome. I'm very grateful that you are here. In today's episode, I have the honor of interviewing Matt, and he's going to be sharing with us loss from the father's perspective. Because while there's silence around pregnancy and infant loss in general, women tend to be more open about their loss, and dads, maybe they don't feel comfortable sharing about their loss, but sometimes the journey of the father gets forgotten as we discuss pregnancy and infant loss. So welcome, Matt. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. So I was hoping that you might be willing to just share a bit about the loss of your daughter to begin. Well, we lost Rowan in 2014. It was a very, very late pregnancy, stillbirth. Completely unexpected. We didn't know there was any kind of complications or any kind of issues at all with the pregnancy. And when she died on June 10th, and she was born on June 12th. An interesting kind of reverse in uh, in most people's experience with children, um, having a death date before a birth date. But for us, it was a completely unexpected blow, uh, something we hadn't even really prepared for, you know. It was... Like they say, every parent's worst nightmare come true. And it left both of us in a very dark place. But one thing I did find, though, was that there were different expectations of what the parents should should express, how they should react to the situation. Of course, we were both you know emotionally devastated, but I think just through societal roles and gender norms that exist... I was more expected to soldier on, keep a stiff upper lip, and to, of course, you know, I also had the, you know, I had my partner who was completely broken and devastated from what had happened to her, and I had a dead child, and I had to help her as much as I possibly could while trying to hold myself together, and it was a very, very difficult uh, place to be in. I think that's really, one, profound what you said about parents experiencing a death date before a birthday. I'm kind of at a loss for words because it's so true and it's so profound. And I think those roles for fathers to hold that stiff upper lip and soldier on, even if they're not spoken, they're very much there subconsciously. And so in that, do you feel like that affected your ability to mourn and grieve the loss of your daughter? One thing in our particular situation, 
was, I think, different between the mother and the father was I never got to meet Rowan personally. I mean, you know, through her mother's belly, I was able to interact with her a little bit, but I think my partner had a much more intimate relationship with her than I was able to. Because obviously, because she was lived inside of her, because she carried her, you know, for uh, the nine months that she existed. So I think that's something that I, in my grieving, that was different. Because even though neither one of us got to actually hold her while she was alive, I kind of felt that I didn't was robbed of actually experiencing her and meeting her. She got a little bit more. Not that I was angry about that or anything like that, but it was, it seemed that, you know, it was even more of a situation of this just isn't fair. So that's one thing that's always kind of stuck with me is that I never got to meet her. And that's something that's always really resonated with me and always really bothered me about the loss especially yeah you had to say hello and goodbye all in the same moments yeah um watching your child come into this world when you know she's dead is something that is well obviously something I wish I never had to see, and you know, luckily my partner was spared from viewing herself. Um, but you know, amongst the the things that might be different between a you know, mother and a father's experience was the fact that I watched that happen, and that's definitely something that's always going to stick with me. Um, it's not something I would I regret doing, but it's. Something that, like with the entire situation, is something that you should never have to witness, something you should never have to do. Right, right. Yeah, there just there's no words for it. I do think it is important to hold that child after your child's born because those are, and that hello and goodbye, those are the only memories really that you have with your baby and uh, and you have that choice you know some people choose not to some people is too much for them and you know i get that i mean the whole situation is you know emotional overload we struggled actually with that ourselves we weren't sure what we were going to do at the time we didn't have a you know we had a birth plan we didn't have a plan for this situation for for death so we were basically being bombarded with you know, things that we, thoughts that had never crossed our mind before. And um, one of those was, did we want to hold her? And, and a lot of people probably, you know, think that of course you want to, but at the time, you know, it's, <laughs> it's a very difficult decision. I mean, we chose to, of course, that we you know wanted to interact with her and hold her and, take pictures and things like that because like Michelle says, it's it's a very quick hello and goodbye because you have a very short window at that point. 
So, um, I think it's a precious you know, moment that you will probably regret later if you don't get to have it, if you choose not to. But again, you know, it's all your choice. But I believe at first it did, but as time went on, I really kind of discarded worrying about that. You know, I didn't care if I broke down anymore. Um, I didn't think just because, you know, I'm a male that I should be able to deal with this in a more, you know, quote-unquote masculine manner. I just accepted my grief for what it was and went from there. And, of course, therapy helped with that and, and to realize that men hurt the same way women hurt as far as, you know, emotional losses. So to not try to... I'm struggling to find the right words here. Not to write it off as, um, you know, something that happens is something you just need to accept and get over with. That, you know, it is a profound psychological loss and something that you need to work through and accept your emotions about it and not to you know, keep that steep upper lip. If that's not what you can do, then don't do it. Yeah, I agree. And I found that our culture in the States, I don't think we mourn very well. I feel like overall we expect people, if they have a loss, that they're supposed to be done mourning within 24 to 48 hours after the funeral or to be back to work within two weeks. And that's not enough time, even if someone, maybe it was a grandparent and you knew that lived their life, their time here on this planet was over, but when you lose a child or and it's an unexpected loss, people, what word, now I'm at a loss for words, like people don't understand sometimes the devastation that it plays and, or they're too afraid of it. Would that be the right word? Afraid of it. They might support you initially, but then. They don't want to take that on themselves. They don't want to have to deal with it if they don't have to. I think is is it may not be the, the the nicest way to put it, but I think that's kind of a truth. Um, no, I, I also think that in in this society that we also tend to expect people to mourn rather privately. Mm -hmm. uh, people in general don't want that to encroach on their universe. Uh, you know that they have to deal with the fact that their coworker or their friend or or acquaintance or, or what have you is dealing with something that's something that they don't want to think about themselves. You know, the loss of a parent, loss of a child, you know, those are very awful things that most people don't want to think about. And, and it seems that the people that have to go through it also have to bear the responsibility of keeping it to themselves for a lot of, you know, for the most part. And again, you know, also like returning to work too. I was expected to return to work like nothing had happened. Um, my coworkers at the time, you know, acknowledged what had happened and, you know, I got all the, the normal platitudes and things like that. But, um, beyond that, I was expected to go back to work as if everything was normal. You know, my productivity should be exactly the same. My personality should be the same. I think that's one thing that people don't tend to think about or take into account is that a significant loss like that will affect, it changes you. 
your personality is not going to be the same. You know, you're not going to be maybe the same happy-go-lucky person you were before, but other personality changes as well. Obviously, you're probably going to be more reserved and less joking, less jovial, outgoing person that you might have been before. And those changes may be permanent. Some people just change permanently after that, and that's to be expected. I don't think that's something that people widely consider, but I do think that is something that does happen, and it does have an impact on people's relationships. Because going through a significant loss like that, you find out that a lot of people, your friends, some people, they immediately they will start to distance themselves from you. They just don't want to hear it. They don't want to handle it. Or they don't know what to do. And their solution is basically just to remove themselves from the situation. I'm not saying that's the correct thing to do. And I'm not saying that's the wrong thing to do. But because uh, sometimes sort of blundering into a situation can do more harm than good. But you do find that people also become uncomfortable around you. Just being in the same room with you. Not like this necessarily that the topic is loss or that you're talking about death or anything of that nature. But just in general, they do not like to be around you. I mean, and it's visibly, in some cases, obvious. Um, you know, no eye contact, they fidget, make obvious excuses to leave for no reason, things like that. And even, you know, at, at work, especially with people that are less than friends or just acquaintances and co-workers, that's even more pronounced they <laughs> you find you know people that used to give you a phone call or people that used to come over to your desk and have a conversation with you about something it comes down to a two-word email if even that and sometimes even you you start to get messages through bosses or other co-workers you know it's just abundantly clear that they just do not want to be around you at all and that's kind of it's mildly hurtful in some cases um to be ostracized like that for something that's completely beyond your control. And if you stop and think about it, it's really something that you shouldn't, whether intentional or not, you should try to be mindful of the fact that you know, this person didn't do this. This isn't an action that they wanted. Um, that you should... At least try to make them as comfortable as possible, especially like on the return to work and while they're going through this, because this the process of grief and grieving for a significant loss takes a long time. You know, it's not, like Michelle said, a, a two-week bereavement period and you're back to your normal life like nothing happened. You're, it's been years since we lost Rowan and... I still struggle with it. Sometimes, you know, daily sometimes, you know, I just struggle to even function because it, grief doesn't really decide, you know, that doesn't give you a warning when it's going to come on. Something can trigger you that you don't even think about. Um, other times you just dwell on the thoughts. I think that infant and baby loss it's just this grief like no other and there's so no, much yeah there's so much silence around it and i feel like i'm so glad that you 
said what you said because it's such a lonely and isolating experience. As I've worked with grieving parents, it's almost like you feel you have the responsibility almost to sometimes to protect people from your grief because they might be uncomfortable and you don't want to make them uncomfortable. Whereas if people could just ask you, how are you doing? And be okay with your answer. If you said, I'm having a really hard day, or if they said your baby's name, I know people hesitate to bring up your child's name because they don't want to make you sadder, but the sadness is there. And most parents I've found really appreciate it if you'll say their child's name and remember their child for the the person that they are. I agree, especially for those parents who lost their child before birth, because one blow that they get right off the bat is that they don't get a birth certificate for you know, like in our case, it was a very you know late stillbirth. So there's no death certificate. There's no birth certificate because as far as everything goes, there was no birth since there was no death. And that is, Kind of a blow because it's almost immediately like at the highest level of society that there's no acknowledgement that your child ever existed. So, no, I don't think in, I mean, with, I can only speak, I should say I can only speak for me personally. I don't mind when people use my child's name. And also to that effect, like you said, with people feeling, uh, the parents almost feeling obligated to keep people feeling comfortable around them because of the loss. Um, you tend to not even worry about whether or not they did, because I accept the fact that people won't use it at her name as well, because I get that. But again, it's just like you said before, it is people, you know, playing to it's, it's the grieving playing to the, the non-bereaved. And it seems like it's our responsibility to keep them comfortable which is an odd situation if you really step back and think about it. But I did a lot of those things in dealing with people. I mean, I, I spent a lot of time with people who would come to pay their respects or saying, you know, for whatever, sorry about your loss, so on and so forth. And they would break down and I'd be the ones comforting them. Which I understand is, is tough for people to think about and they may have their own personal loss that this is bringing up information on but it's just kind of a surreal experience when you step back and think about it that they're offering their condolences and you're the one giving them comfort it seems like it hurts them more to say the words than it is for you to hear them even though it isn't but so i have an anecdote i just thought of um dealing with a co-worker and this is one that it's probably like my most profound, most profound experience in dealing with um, how somebody reacts to to news like that, and and how you end up comforting them. So after I've been back to work for maybe two or three weeks, a coworker that doesn't that I worked with that doesn't 
work all the time. She works sporadically, um, you know, on a need basis based on, you know, business needs. So I hadn't seen her for a while and she had recently been out on maternity leave. And so the first time I had seen her and she, and she knew that, you know, we were expecting to have a child. And so the first time I saw her, she didn't know anything. Nobody had told her what had happened, which in a kind of one way was kind of a relief that it wasn't like a, a gossip vine thing that got into her. But in another way, it was also kind of the ultimate foot in the mouth situation for her because the first words out of her mouth was, Hey, how's the baby? You know, and, and, and I immediately could tell that she had no idea what had happened. Very happy, smiley, bubbly face. Genuinely expecting to hear good news. And, <laughs> you know when they say, like, you can walk into a room and you can feel when the energy's off, mm-hmm. so to speak. You know, you can tell when there's an argument taking place, even if it's silent, or that people are at odds with each other. Just, you can just feel, like, the mood shift in the room. But we were in a room with, like, about three other people at desks and a couple other people milling about and just, you know, you could almost, the, the proverbial needle off the record, just, you know, everybody stopped what they're doing, the typing stopped, uh, everything. And, you know, I, I told her that, unfortunately, you know, we had lost Rowan, that she had passed away. And her first reaction was, don't joke about stuff like that, it's not funny. And, yeah. I was, you know, <laughs> like, no, I'm, I'm not joking, you know, at, at this point, I'm trying to hold myself together. <laughs> it's not a topic I wanted to, you know, speak about that publicly at work, but I found myself in that situation. Um, and then she surveyed the room, and the looks on people's faces mm. <laughs> were all of shaking like no. <laughs> um, And uh, the look on her face when she realized what had actually happened and what she had done. <laughs> and that was, you know, of course, she lost. And she started to cry and was upset. And <laughs> I had to remove her from the room and take her outside and ended up having to comfort her myself. <laughs> Even though I'm broken up about it, you know, obviously at work talking about things like that. That's like one of my saddest memories. And I think it's hard because she didn't know. Oh yeah, she didn't exactly. Know. Yeah, so she it's... didn't know, and then it probably scared her, because oh my gosh, could I lose my child? And it's just that awkwardness sometimes that comes with grief. But it would have been nice if not that you want to be talked about in your work or in that gossip chain. But it would have been really nice if someone would have warned her. Hey, Matt's coming back to work. He took a leave because he lost his child. We just want to let you know. We know you're pregnant. We don't want either one of you to feel hurt inadvertently because you're not aware of it. And later on throughout the day, as the gossip mill worked, I heard several people, you know, going, Jesus Christ, how did she not know? How did we not tell her? How did. So, I mean, it was acknowledged that this was a big screw up on somebody's part but i'm not sure i mean whose job was it really to tell so i mean at one point i think like when i had found out that or not when i found i mean when when it happened of course you know i had to notify my job and everything like that and i gave my boss permission to tell people but 
I didn't expect him to, you know, just to tell the people that were there, you know, the full-timers and stuff like that that would get the information. Someone like her, you know, I didn't expect him to get on the phone and call her at home and tell her. Right. So, you know, there there, there was no really, buddy really at fault. It was just kind of a, like, wow, how did that happen situation? Um, yeah. And that's one of those things I'll never forget is when she surveyed the room with the faces on those people. Especially this one guy who was Always smiling, always joking. Mm-hmm. I'd never seen his face like that before. Wow. This completely, like, stern, like, nodding note, like he's not kidding. And just, <laughs> this his face looks sad. I've never seen his face look sad before. Wow. Wow. Thank you for being so raw and honest in that story. I know it's one that was difficult to share yeah i mean yeah losing your emotional cool and you know in front of co-workers is especially for for a male is not something that i wanted to do and it's also something that's not really considered socially acceptable and it's also something that should be okay but something that i didn't ever want to do. I just wanted to sit in my cubicle and be a little worker bee and everybody just leave me the hell alone. Yeah. Yeah. And it had to be harder too with her pregnant. It just added another layer to it. So I feel like it places an added burden on a newly grieving parent. People are well-meaning But if you're overcome with the grief, then go outward to someone to process it first. And then when you're with the parent that's grieving, it's okay to cry with them. I think they can even appreciate you crying with them. But there's a difference between crying with them and saying, I'm so sorry, and this is so difficult, versus needing them almost to comfort you because you're so overcome with emotion. Does that make sense? That is a much better way to put it. (laughs) Yeah, it just, again, it's a loss like no other. And it, it kind of messes with our, what words do I want? The way, the natural order of things. Like we never think that we're going to, outlive our children no and you're right it isn't the natural order of things i, I can't even there's at least one movie um that comes to mind that there at least that's a quote that you know no parent should outlive their children mm. that's just not the way it should work right right and so it really can shake your your belief structure shake you to the core i know for some parents that are grieving that they may even question their relationship with God. They may question their spirituality. They may be angry at God. Other people find deep comfort in their spiritual relationship with a higher being. But my understanding is, though, Matt, that you don't really have a spiritual practice, a religious practice, 
So if you wouldn't mind, can you share how that maybe impacted your grief? Um, sure. Um, I know it's, for a lot of people, it's unthinkable. But no, I don't have, I don't believe in a God. I don't believe in any of that. Um, and I have, for people that do, I have absolutely you know, no issue with that. It's just my own personal beliefs. One thing I guess I'm going into my therapy here and thinking about this, but the, the five stages or the stages of grief. One of them is bargaining. And if you don't believe in a higher power or a God or, or, or whatever, who are you bargaining with? So it's kind of, so when we I, you know, thought about those and went back to mine, I realized that I didn't have that stage. That was something that was completely omitted from my experience because who was I going to bargain with? That's one thing to think about for those people who are not religious or without religion, that things that you may think of as normal uh, as far as your religious practices, think that those things, those concepts, those ideas might be completely alien. And going on further to that, those people of other religions may not have the same tenets and beliefs that you do, so expecting them to or making statements that just take that for granted can be very hurtful to those that are grieving, adding undue aggravation and pressure to a situation that's already something that's way beyond something, something that most people can deal with psychologically in a normal manner anyway. So, no, I didn't have anybody to get angry with. Um, I completely accepted the fact that this was an extremely unfortunate situation that happened that didn't have anything to do with karma. It didn't have anything to do with me offending a deity. It didn't have anything to do with me paying comeuppance for some past transgression in another life or anything like that. So there isn't that blaming or regret because there wasn't anything that I did. This was something that even the physicians couldn't figure out what happened with her. Even after performing a, a post-mortem examination. So without that religious aspect, I think I looked on Our loss, I guess, differently than a lot of people. I mean, I know there are a lot of non-religious people that experience loss, of course, and some of them, you know, suddenly realize they're not so non-religious anymore. And others that were religious, you know, walk away from their beliefs because it's... <laughs> it shakes the foundations of your belief system or, or how you understand the universe or how you understand your place in the world. Um... And understandably so, because, like you said earlier, Michelle, it's not the natural order. So, rightly so, you would question things. And, you know, I did ponder a lot of things, but again, I just came back to the same conclusion that, you know, that, that it didn't change my fact that I didn't think that there was a God. I didn't find God as a result of the loss. And in some ways, I think it 
maybe work through my grief a little faster than some people in terms of getting to that point of acceptance of the loss. I didn't stop and ruminate on things that were, as far as I was concerned, irrelevant or beyond my control. You know, <clears throat> bargaining being the prime case of that as far as in the stages of grief. And just because you know, I didn't have anybody to bargain with didn't mean I wasn't angry, though. That was part of the grief that was something that took a very long time to work through because, you know, anger doesn't necessarily have to be directed at any one thing. Because, to be honest, it, a loss of a child isn't fair. No matter how it happens, it's just not fair. Um, and that's something to be angry about. And I think for men, you know, anger is probably one of the bigger parts of going through the significant loss, the loss of a child. I do think that anger is something that we all have to work through in a loss because it doesn't feel fair. And especially the loss of a child, it just isn't fair. Did you find if people made religious references that they were hurtful or offensive? I believe your partner had a really hard time if people would call your daughter an angel baby or you have an angel in heaven. And she does have a spiritual belief from my understanding, but she still found that very, very hurtful. Um, yes, she did find that very hurtful. To explain it, I believe the best way to put it would be that you're praising some deity for killing her child. That is really blunt, but yeah, that's the way that it can feel. And I've heard it said too that grieving parents don't want an angel in heaven. They want their baby in their arms. And they can struggle with if it's a loving God, how can you want my child for your own? How can you take my my child from me? Again, some people, having an angel in heaven is incredibly comforting for them. But if you're supporting anyone or talking to someone that's lost a child, please, please follow their lead. If they call their child an angel baby in heaven, then absolutely do that. If they don't, then please refrain from saying that because it just can cut people to the quick. Yes, it could. Yeah, it can make them. It can be a trigger. I mean, I know I experience people, I know with the best of intentions, I know they didn't mean anything by it. But when they would say things like, oh, she's in a better place or it was God's plan, those were the things that would immediately trigger the worst kind of anger in me. Um, because, again, I'm very much, when I'm dealing with people in person, I don't like to speak necessarily about religion. You know, it's kind of one of those things you just don't talk about as far as I'm concerned. Uh, you know, it's right up there with politics and how much money you make. You know, it's just not something you'd bring about and play conversation. You know, it's one thing if you know the person from church or, or whatever else, or, you know, you know that the person's an atheist or an agnostic or a humanist, whatever. 
But just to assume that a coworker believes the same as you, and it's going to take comfort from the fact that you're happy that their deity killed their child, and they're up there with them now. That's, to me, if you break it down like that, think about that, that is an extremely insulting thing to say to somebody. I mean, I remember, like, one of the first times somebody made one of those uh, religious platitudes. I think if looks could kill, she would have been she would have caught fire. I mean, I, I, I don't think I'd ever been that angry in my entire life. And it wasn't something I expected either. It was just something that hit me, and it was just, how dare you? And I, I think very quickly she realized the error <laughs> of, of making that statement because, I mean, I looked angry. It was one of those situations where I had to remove myself. And I don't think if that was the same subject, I don't think I would have gotten nearly as angry. And if it wasn't so raw and bringing back to you know, an earlier thing, we're expected to return to work like nothing happened after a couple of weeks. Now, it wouldn't make me nearly as angry as it did then. But I think I think people in general in our society are quite aware that people have different beliefs. But when it comes down to death, that all tends to fade away. You know, people are very PC about people's different beliefs and respecting that. But when it comes to death, a lot of that fades away and becomes very non-PC. Um especially with um, I guess you could say the Christian majority uh, or the, the Christians in this country uh, I find a lot that suddenly that people you may not have ever known were religious suddenly started throwing you know religious things at you when it comes to death and normally they would never speak about religion and I, I think that's I don't mean to say that we should make death PC but I do think that you do need to take into account that your difference in beliefs can have a profound effect on somebody's grief, whether it causes anger or sadness or you know, increases sorrow or it just compounds the burden that they're already carrying. Because you have to remember people that are dealing with the loss of a child you know, are carrying a burden that most people won't ever understand. And shouldn't have to. Again, you know, it's an unnatural thing. So, I... I think people really should, before, you know... Uh, to to use a, a slightly religious quote, the road to hell was paved with good intentions. Yeah. And I think that applies. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's, you know, it's so often well-meaning, but... It's so important to really listen and reflect what the grieving person is saying. And if they aren't saying anything remotely spiritual or religious, then please simply refrain from those types of remarks. It can save a lot of hurt for everyone involved, probably. You would think in a hospital setting... I mean, granted, the hospital we were in was for children and babies, so maybe death wasn't always quite as, as something that he dealt with. But, I mean, he was a social worker right. that worked in a hospital. And it is a high-risk hospital. And it is. Yeah, I mean, it's specifically for, you know, so, I mean, yeah, there are high-risk situations for, so. And they uh, deal with loss in that situation, mm -hmm. yeah. And this guy comes into the room 
not too long after we found out that, that, that Rowan had passed, visibly unprepared, disorganized. I mean, his hands were shaking and then proceeded to go over our, our options as far as what to do with her body once she was born. I think that is a prime example of even people who should be prepared for situations like that don't know how to react mm-hmm. and are unsure of how to react to the point that, I mean, <laughs> literally somebody who deals with death, works in the hospital, was visibly shaken. <laughs> and unfortunately, you know, it's, when you think about it that way, it's, it's kind of profound, but at the time it was rather insulting. I mean, I, I remember almost wanting to chase him out of the room. You know, like, okay, I get that you have to do this. This is your job. But can you, you know, be a little bit more professional about it? Be a little bit more succinct and just get out of our face. You know, we, we realize that that our child is dead and that there's going to have to be, you know, things, you know, cremation, funeral, burial, you know, what have you, all those other things that come with death. But I also thought his entrance into the situation was a little ill-timed as well because it was still a rather new situation. Mm-hmm. And it it kind of seemed like it was a, okay, we got a, you know, checklist here we've got to go through. So we've got to cross our I's and dot our T's and we'll just do this as quickly as possible. So maybe the thought process being that you get it done out of the way sooner so we can just leave them the hell alone. Or, again, maybe they just wanted to get it done and over with for themselves. I do think there needs to be more training for nurses and social workers and even chaplains because dealing with the loss of my daughter's grandma recently there some of the chaplains and the social workers were great and some of them it was just so awkward and I I don't know but sometimes I think there's a great deal of skill that is involved in that and bereavement training really needs to be sensitivity training needs to be addressed i i agree um and, it, and it's a difficult subject and i don't th- i think some people naturally have a knack for it maybe more empathetic than most than other people what they call highly sensitive people and i think a lot of those people gravitate to this type of jobs but i think others just find themselves in those jobs and, you know, obviously aren't going to do as well as those who naturally have the ability to be more comforting to people that are, you know, in dire emotional situations. But on that subject, though, of chaplains and stuff like that, I believe they, with us, they send one in. And I, I think that's something else that should be addressed in a normal situation. I know in hospitals, a lot of times they do this without question or thought, probably is to, when someone is dying or somebody just experienced, like we did, the death of our child, to send a chaplain in without asking us whether or not, whether this person is non-denominational or just a spiritual advisor or something like that. But people who don't have the need for spiritual advisors, it's, it's an undue burden that could possibly blow up in their face. Because people are emotionally raw, and I remember at that point I really didn't have a filter anymore. It was more of a, you know, you're going to get whatever comes to mind, because I, I just don't have the mental capacity right now to be kind to people. So I think that's something that people 
some people could consider completely normal, wouldn't think about it, and other people would find completely aggravating and anger-inducing and insulting, to be quite frank. Yeah, yeah, I think it's important to ask families, is this something that you're interested in? Would you like to speak to the chaplain? Do you like any kind of spiritual support? Instead of just having them show up at the room, because it's not comforting for everyone, and even if you do have a religious practice or a spiritual practice, sometimes a stranger just can't bring that comfort for you unless they're really skilled. And it needs to be something that I think the family asks for. So since we're kind of on this topic, what did you find that was not helpful as you were working through the loss of your child? Oh, wow. Uh, that's a big question um, sorry I'm, I'm really having to think about that um, the religious factor was I, I think an undue burden I think you know something that could easily have been left out something I didn't have to deal with and finding that so many of my co-workers and friends and acquaintances were finding that was the thing that they needed to say to me I thought that put a, was a rough thing to work through. Um, I think having to just... The hardest thing was probably the societal expectation to get on with my life. And I don't mean get on with my life as in accept. I mean get on with my life as in forget it. It's something that's over and done with. You know, you've had your time. Now move on. And that I struggled with because it's not, not something that you should forget, not something that you should put behind you in terms of, you know, pretending like it never happened. Because I think that's profoundly unhealthy mentally. But also just perpetuation situation that we're in when it deals with grieving. You don't talk about it. You comfort those who are not grieving and basically you get isolated, you know, and not that isolation's a bad thing. I mean, right after our loss, we intentionally isolated ourselves for a long time. Didn't really speak to many people didn't go out of the house if we didn't absolutely need to and pretty much I was the only one that left the house <laughs> usually just to go get fast food or something like that and you know back into the closed shut up house we went and didn't come out again which is you're saying that traditionally hundreds of years ago people we honored their mourning more and they wore somber colors, dark colors, and they were expected to stay at home, right? Sitting um, shiva, for one example. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think we have really good grief practices any longer in our culture. So yeah. I think it's amazing that you intuitively just knew that you wanted to have that time to kind of cocoon yourselves and and take that time that you needed to mourn and begin the process of working through the shock and beginning that journey of working through the grief. 
So as you did that, was there anything that was helpful? <laughs> um, I think in isolating ourselves, I think it allowed us to be just as emotionally raw as we needed to be. I think that was probably the best thing for us because trying to hold things back and stifle your emotions is a daunting task and the stronger the emotion you know the harder it is and i think bottling it up like they say you know you're going to end up exploding and that's not a situation that you need to have happen out in the world because it can have you know awful effects on work situation and relationships with others i kind of I think that in a lot of cases, though, it's almost instinctual for humans to do that. And I'm going to use a kind of an analogy here, but with you see an animal that gets hurt in the wild, one of their first things they're going to do is retreat into a burrow or someplace where they feel like they're comfortable or defended and surrounded and cocooned and safe. It's kind of the same thing with at least how I experienced it with me was I was emotionally very injured. And I needed to remove myself from the world, the situation. I didn't want to be around anybody other than my my partner. And again, you know, so we could work through our grief and be just as sad and mournful and raw as we needed to be. Um, because I think you need to get that out of your system. You need to experience it as part, because you feel it, I mean, that's part of the process. You know, ignoring it, trying to stifle it, I don't think is healthy. Amy Wright Glenn, who is a, a chaplain and a birth and bereavement doula, I was listening to a lecture she gave, and she said that the body knows how to mourn. And even when we're mourning, sometimes we can wail and make sounds and if we would just listen to our bodies, and if people could give one another the space to do that, I think our grieving would go more smoothly. And I think it's wonderful that you are able to just honor your instincts and follow that. And for some people, they like to have loved ones close and other people close. But even in that, sometimes they just need that quiet time to fall apart. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And to cry and to not have to get up and not have to be social. And and if they are with someone, it needs to be with someone that can just hold the space and let them be however they want to be. And they're not trying to fix it or mend it or treat the person like they're broken. Because I think that's something that happens with grief too, is we always want to fix it and make it better or we can say that grieving person is broken and all of that strong raw emotion is it's a part of the process of grief and we need to allow that space for people to grieve instead of stifling it but they're not broken they're grieving and if i can share one thing in supporting grieving people is just to make peace with the fact that you can't fix it. There's nothing you can do to fix it. And as I'm saying that, I'm kind of teary because it's kind of a helpless feeling. So if you can just go into it knowing you can't fix it, 
but you can just be there to listen, maybe not even talk, just sit silently with that person. Give them the space when they're ready to express their thoughts or hold their hand. Yes, and that's a very difficult thing for, for men. I had the same difficulties. I mean, my only solution for like an outside um, beyond my partner and in a very, very close family and friends was a therapist to talk it out. And I, I highly recommend that for people because um, even if you have a confidant uh, or somebody you can speak to, having a person that is a stranger that you are not beholden to in any way and being able to unload on them is a very, very, very cathartic experience. Because if you think about it, you know, having that confidant, that close friend that you can share things with, you're only going to share so much as to not offend that person. It's true. But with the therapist, you don't have to worry about offending them. That's their job. I mean, you know, don't go in there and, you know, curse them out or anything like that. But, I mean, in some cases that might be even be appropriate just to vent your anger. But, I mean, and having that person that is completely, you know, a stranger to you that you don't feel any need to save their emotions, I think is a, a wonderful thing. And I think that's something that most that people should consider at the very least. And it's, I know it helped me profoundly having that sounding board having or just and a lot of the therapy a lot of it was he sat there silently and listened you know i would go on for 20 minutes about whatever subject and he wouldn't say a word so i mean just having that ability to just have someone listen that whether or not they're judging is you don't care because you're this person, you know, again, isn't a, you know, a friend or a family member is, is I think, one of the most wonderful is, you know, like the title says, it's a very therapeutic experience. And I agree. That person that can just hold space non-judgmentally and let you be so raw is invaluable. I agree 100%. So if there's anything one thing that you could share, whether to a family that's just starting this journey of grief or to someone that knows someone that is, what would that be? One little pearl of, I wish I could have told people this. Well, for one thing, know that you're not alone. And... To be aware that your partner in this, with child loss, the father and the mother, be aware that your partner is going to change, as you are going to change as well. And to be mindful of that as far as dealing with the other person. Because it's much easier to see changes in other people than it is to see changes in yourself. But know that as much as that person may change, you're changing as well. So be cognizant of that. 
not that you need to stop it, not that you need to halt it uh, necessarily, but just be aware that this thing that you've experienced with this other person is going to change you permanently. Yeah, yeah, that was very, very good. <laughs> All the wisdom. So thank you, Matt for being here with us and sharing so openly with all of the listeners. I appreciate it more than I can ever say. Oh, you're very welcome, Michelle. Sorry some of this kind of rambly, but that's my process. Oh, it's all good. It's it, it's a deep subject and one I think that it we need a moment to wrap our mind around our thoughts. If anyone is going through the loss of their child, please know that there are resources out there. There are support groups. There are therapists that specialize in child loss. And as Matt said, please know that you're not alone in this because that grief can be so lonely and isolating. But one in four women has experienced some form of pregnancy or infant loss. So even with that statistic alone, there are others walking through their grief with you. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you found this episode helpful and it provided you some comfort or insights. For a list of bereavement resources or to connect with me for grief support, please visit my website, at birthyservices.com backslash loss-support. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram at Birthies Loss Support. If you would like to help to support me in this work to hold space for grieving families, one of the simplest and best ways is to please follow, rate, review, and share, and share again this podcast. And please be kind, compassionate, and patient with yourself as you walk this journey of grief, remembrance, and renewed hope. Remember, there is no right way to grieve the loss of your baby or your loved one.